Um, you know, we wrapped up a series last week um, about finding joy, and I really enjoyed pre- preaching that message. When we wrapped up to a conclusion, I just had a fun time with that message last week. But when you get done with one series, you got to think about, okay, where do I want to go next? There are pastors out there that can plan a whole year right away. They're, they're just good at that. I'm not a, the kind of guy that can plan a whole year. So I plan maybe like two months ahead is about what I do. But I was thinking about where I wanted to go after I preached about joy. And normally, if you guys haven't noticed, what I'll do is I will preach like a topical series, and then I'll go like overview a, Bible, a book in the Bible, and then I'll do another topical. But today I'm going to go back into another, I guess, kind of topical, but not really a book of the Bible. But I, I want to spend some time talking about Jesus and how Jesus was an amazing teacher. And one of the amazing ways and abilities that he had as a teacher is that Jesus loved to tell stories. He loved to just tell stories to get his point across. And all of us have heard or read his different stories and how they bring up imagery and they bring out a context that the people that he was speaking to could understand and relate to. And we call those what? Parables. They're called parables. You know, And you can use parables today, You know, modern day par- parables, new ones, and they just help take context. And so God was, or Jesus, well, Jesus is God, but Jesus in particular was just a good storyteller. You know, he could sit down and kind of make his point, whether he was like rebuking or whether he was encouraging, or he was just right out teaching by using a parable. He was really good at it. So we're going to touch some of his stories. We're going to touch some of his classic parables. We're going to touch some of his that we would maybe not necessarily call so much a parable, but a short story that they don't consider like the major parables. There's tons of them. There's tons and tons of different stories that he used. Excuse me. And then we're going to see how they apply to us today and how we can use them today and how we relate to them. So if you guys got your Bibles today, we're going to open up to the book of Mark. We're going to go to Mark chapter 3. We're going to go to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 20, and I'm going to read from the NIV. So Mark chapter 3, verse 20, Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can apply it to our hearts, we can apply it to our lives, and we can use it to grow ourselves in spirituality, and we can mature by it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I like this story. I want to use this story. It's so almost crazy. You know what I mean? Because here we have Jesus. Jesus is 
doing his Jesus thing, and he sits down in a, in a room with his disciples. So many people come in to listen to what he has to say, there's not even room to eat. But then his friends and his family, it says in the NIV family, his associates, whoever they are, people that are close to Jesus, come in, and they start to make accusations about some of the neat things they've seen him do driving out demons. And basically what they do is they point to this guy they know as Jesus, and they, they don't quite understand he's Messiah yet, but they look at him and they say, you're a crazy guy. You are out of your mind. Something's wrong with you. They take some of the religious leaders, from, and it says in here, from Jerusalem. So this isn't the local pastor. This is like the superintendent. They bring him out, some of these guys out. And they say, you're casting out demons by the power of Satan. Strong words. By the devil. But Jesus comes back and he starts to tell them a story. And he says, why would the devil destroy what he is trying to accomplish in the first place? It brings to mind the fact that Kim, we all drink coffee in our house. Kim's actually cutting down on coffee because she says the caffeine is messing with her or whatever. Something going on with her. She's cutting down. But if I was to go and get my wife a cup of coffee in her amazing Summit Church coffee mug on Saturday morning, I like mine black. I think if God wanted sweetened and creamed coffee to put it in the beans, it would be a prepackaged deal. She says that that's messed up. She likes to put her fancy Almond Joy creamer in there or a little bit of stevia. We don't, she doesn't like sugar, but or her caramel macchiato creamer, or she likes the peppermint vanilla at Christmas time. You girls know what I'm talking about. You guys use that, except for Grace as a black coffee lady. But say I went to go get her a cup of coffee one day, trying to be nice to my sweetie, get her a cup of coffee, and she wanted it sweetened. And I go into the cupboard, and I pull out the sugar, and I start to pour her some sugar into her coffee, but there's nothing in there. It's empty. Can I sweeten the coffee by putting a little salt in there? No? Maybe, maybe if you just keep adding salt. Eventually it's got to get sweet, right? Right? You can make things sweet by using salt, right? Mmm... On a side note, I had a, a boss in high school that used to send me to the gas station to get coffee. He liked the large coffee. You put 12 packets of sugar in it and 10 creamers. <laughs> That's not coffee. <laughs> but what I'm getting a point here in the, in, in the point is, is that we have to understand who we are and what the purpose of something is. And that's what Jesus is saying is the purpose of the devil, He had his purpose, his existence is destructive. So why would he be trying to do something non-destructive? How can you say that I'm working on behalf of the devil if I'm doing everything to negate what he is trying to accomplish in the first place? That doesn't work. You don't put out a fire by pouring gas on it, do you? If you just keep pouring gas on it, is the fire eventually going to go out? Is it eventually going to go out? No, it's not going to go out. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to be a mess, right? All right? 
Jesus takes and rebukes everyone by telling this wonderful story about how a kingdom divided against itself is a kingdom that cannot stand. A household that is divided against itself is a household that cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself, he's divided. He cannot stand. His end has come. That's the destructive time. This coffee will never be sweet with a half a thing of salt in it, even if I start to put sugar in it, because now it's divided between salt and sugar. If I had a little bit of sugar, and I was able to just put about half of what Kim likes in there for sugar, and say, I'll make the rest of it sweet by adding the same amount of salt, it's not going to taste good. It's not going to work. It's divided. It's not what it's supposed to be. And so as I looked at this parable, and I thought about this parable, and what it means, and what I could tell you guys today about this house divided thing. Of course, a good pastor always says, what are three good things I can say about that? So I came up with three good things that I can say about it because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? All right. They always say a good message is your passage is three points. You can write a message. So here's my first big thing I want to bring to you guys is unity. Okay, because that's what this whole thing is. is about unification, unity, and being of the same accord. And the first unity I want to talk to you guys about is the unity inside the individual. Inside the individual. And the reason I think that that one's really pertinent here is because Jesus is describing to these guys that are saying that he is of the devil. An individual that, no, I'm unified a different way. I'm not divided. I'm not this side. I'm not claiming to be Christ. I'm not claiming to be godly. But yet I'm satanic or I'm evil or I'm demonic. What does that mean for us? That means that we can't go ununified in who we are and how we represent ourselves. Every one of us in here today, and because I know you guys and we're a small group, I can easily say this, is that all of us in here today can make the claim that we are Christians, that we have accepted Christ as Savior, right? Right. But once that happens, God asks us to be godly people. He asks us to, to live godly lives, to represent and be ambassadors of who he is best we can. Now, we all fail. We all fall short of that. He knows we're going to fall short of that. We should be mindful of the fact that we fall short of that. That doesn't mean you don't try harder. That means you try harder. That means when you find things that aren't, aren't glorifying to God in your life, that you expose those things and you do what you can to try to change how big or small it is. You try to make a difference. You know, people say salvation with works. He's preaching salvation with works. No, that, I'm not. I am, but I'm not. You know, works don't works don't save you, but works are part of your Christian life, and change is part of your Christian life. He doesn't change you and then save you. He saves you and then he changes you. God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He doesn't want us to be divided, half half worldly. God glorified. He wants us to be of the same, trying to be the same. He wants us to be fired up about Him and not divided in our Christian life, in our character, or in our representation. Revelation 13, or 3, 5 and 16, something I wrote in my, in my uh, notes here, and I want to share with you guys. Sorry, i got to get there. One more page. 
Alright. Alright. I know your deeds, that you are not cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. He wants us to be... He, it's easier to understand if you're one or the other. Once you guys agree, it's easier to understand a Christian who's living a godly life. It's easy to understand somebody that doesn't doesn't have a belief in Christ and knows it, you know what I mean? But to have somebody that says, hey, I am a believer in Christ, but I live on this side in, the, in, in this realm here. It's hard to really understand, well, what are you? What are you? You know, it, it, it actually... This one, this is this is a rabbit trail, but I'm going to share it anyways because I don't think it's it's not really pertinent to this mess. But I share. It. I love when I am just going about doing what I do, maybe at work or with family or something like that, and somebody says, "Well, that's not very fitting for a pastor." I love that because nine times out of ten, it comes from people that don't even like understand the pastorate, and it's like, who? died and made you in charge of it but you know what i mean but but it's easy for people when you say i am a christian and you live inside this glorifying best you can i mean yeah, sometimes you slide out a little bit but they see it and they understand it and they and they see that something is different about you something is lighted can i say that lighted something glows about you instead of saying i i i claim over here but i'm over here where it's where it's not going on here sorry I, I probably beat that one a little bit too much and it starts in our it, it starts up in here I think in our minds in our hearts our mental focus should be directed toward Jesus and Jesus alone now I'm not saying like yes I, I kind of am our decisions that we make in life and what we do outside of church and things like that we should always be having God's glory in mind you know what I mean how we act what we're going to do, like, what does God want us to do? You know, John Christ up here, he was joking about ways to say no, but you should be praying about everything. In everything, pray, you know. It starts in us to have that mental focus and that heart focus directed toward Jesus and Jesus alone. That helps us to be unified with the Spirit, to be on the same accord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind, or of sound mind can be replaced with self-control, or sound mind can be replaced with discipline. And when we're in tune with God and His Spirit, He doesn't give us a spirit that's confusing. He doesn't give us a spirit that makes us scared. He doesn't give us a spirit that messes us up. He gives us a spirit that gives us power, that gives us love. Okay, that's, that's giving us power to reach others. That's giving us love to know that we're loved and to show other people God's love. And then it gives us a spirit of a sound mind. Sound mind, where we can exercise that self-control. It helps us bind up the, the, the strong will that we have inside of ourselves to be opposite of what God has for us. When we have a sound mind, our personal judgment can be more God-glorifying. Our ability to resist temptation and stay firm in our faith is more easily done when we are in the spirit that offers self-control and a sound mind. It is a God-given, it is God-given and gives us strength to live our Christian life better. So we should be taking our time to make sure our mind, our thoughts, our heart, who we are with Christ and how it works with us 
that we are unified with him that way because it's stronger. It works better. It helps us to do this Christian life so much better. The second one that I, and I'm going to jump big, full board here, but the unity of the individual believer, and then you have the unity of the local church. The unity of the local church. And when I say local church, I mean the people that meet inside the four walls of a building week in and week out. So we are a local church. The Baptists are a local church. The Lutherans are a local church. That's what I mean, a local body. All right? We have to be unified as a local church. The first unity we have to worry about is the heart is to maintain our harmony in the worship service. Worship service is our Sunday morning when we get together. You know, the LDS church people call it the Sunday go to meeting. You know, we call it going to church. We call it going to worship service, whatever. Sunday morning when we all get together and we worship and we bring our tithes and we listen to the pastor ramble on and try to stay awake. That's what I'm talking about, the morning harmony thing. All right? Because when we're not standing in unity as a church, when there are divisions amongst us, and I've seen this in churches where you got, you know, uh, Susie and Bob are over here and they have a beef with Stephen and Donna over here and they're nitpicky outside of during church and I don't think he's a very good at doing the youth and oh well she stinks at doing the brownies for Wednesday nights and you know you guys know what I'm talking about the nitpicking that can go on inside the local church those things and then they come into here and like you know who are they to say that that person should be praying for somebody those kind of things when that harmony in the worship service is it, it is seriously damaged by those kind of attitudes by those kind of thoughts about each other, even if they're not manifest. Even if I go and I look at somebody in here, I'm going to pick on somebody here, even if I look at Kathy right here and say, you know what, I just don't like the color of Kathy's shirt today. Or I don't like the way Kathy, I don't like the way she walks, and I have a problem with her. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't like the way she walks in. I don't like the way she does this. I don't like the way she does that. And start to feed on that and feed on that and decide, I don't like Kathy. I don't like Kathy, and then I snub Kathy, and I'm too good for Kathy. I'm not going to say hi to Kathy when I see her at Bernie's. That messes with the harmony of the church worship service, does it not? That is destructive to the harmony of the church worship service. Everybody feels it. You can feel the tension, especially in a smaller church like this. The believers in the local body, we have to work together. We have to be together on the same accord. We're not, we're not all exactly the same. I'm different than Grace. I'm different than Nikki. I'm different than Joram. Way different than Joram. I'm, I don't do the gaming thing, actually. But we all fall in the same place. We're all believers in Christ. We're all His children. We're all in His kingdom. We all are heirs to His throne. You know, we're all these things. And so through that, I should get by the different things or quirks or whatever that try to divide so that we can be a church body. Think about your marriage, okay? Think about how marriage works. When you are on the same page together, it works good, right? When you're dating, I remember dating Kim, and I always saw her. She's always pretty, had her makeup and her hair done, looking pretty because she's trying to get me to like her, and so she's going to look nice. And I was doing the same thing. Once I met her, you know, I'm going to put on nice cologne, you know, which means like you open the bottle of Axe and pour the whole thing on your head if you're young. 
You guys know what I'm talking about. And then you're like, oh, I love this little sweetie. I want to marry her. You go ask dad. Dad says, okay, you get married. And about a couple months in, if it takes that long, they do something. They, they pass wind in front of you. Or you guys know these things that happen in marriage. I mean, or, um, you know, she just wakes up and her hair's at a 45-degree angle hanging off of her head. And her breath smells like it came out of Carl's Bad Cavern. You guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm getting the dirty looks. Just these are just these are not specifics, but you know, or you have those days when when they're sick, or you find out that maybe they're not the best at at, at cleanliness or something like that. And these are not specifics. These are not specifics. Don't kill me when we get home. I'm not I'm not thinking of any of our like well some, but not all of them. <laughs> I better stop. I'm digging a hole. I'm digging a deep hole. But you guys know what I mean. Like you find out that like. They're not always 100% put together. They're not all as perfect as you thought, you know. And it's vice versa, you know. And but in order to make that marriage be harmonious and last, you got to get past that, right? You got to get past the fact that you know they don't wake up and their hair falls like a Stepford wife, you know. Or some days they just don't feel like doing their hair, and that's why you found out that they like to wear beanie hats in the wintertime is because they don't have to do their hair, you know. You figure those things out. I don't like to do my hair, and I just deal with it. I just shave it off, and it gave up and started falling out. Um, but we have to be, as a local body, inside these four walls, we got to be reasonably on the same page, don't we? I mean, we're going to have our little differences about us, and that's okay. That's okay. But we have to learn to value each other. Everybody in here has value, right? And according to what we read in the Bible, the value of each individual in here to him is priceless. Right? And for me, I go and look at somebody like Elijah. God says, Elijah, you are priceless. There is not a value that I can put on you. And then me to come down and treat him like a dirt bag. But say, I love him and I want to be, I want to glorify you, but I'm going to treat him like a dirt bag. That doesn't work, does it? Because God says, I have immense value for him that is priceless. So I should treat him with value too. Right? Of course, he's my kid, so I try to treat him with value anyway. But you guys get what I'm saying. We should learn, or we must, love each other. You know, love each other. Even if there's just some people that I just can't, you can't stand some of their quirks about them and stuff like that. Or maybe you're never going to be great friends. You just don't relate, but you're all Christians in the same church. You can love somebody still. You know, I can love somebody still. You know, maybe that what they do outside of church, maybe it's not bad, but they just do different things. You know, or maybe, maybe, oh my word, they just call themselves a Christian and they're a Democrat. Oh no, oh my word, that is not possible, right? Who am I? You know what I mean? I can still love them. You know. All right. And when we do have differences, and differences come because we are human beings. We're all human beings and we're all different. We're going to get on each other's nerves every once in a while. We have to learn to reconcile. We have to learn to take care of it. We have to learn to get it, get it, get it taken care of. You know when you're married and they say don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know? It's the same in the church. If somebody bugs you, 
If somebody does something that upsets you or offends you, you need to bring it out to the surface. You need to pop that pimple and get it over with so it'll heal. Right? I'm sorry, that was gross, but it's true, right? You gotta pop pop the pimple. I gotta tell you guys another story really, really quick. We went to when we transitioned out of ministry from Open Bible, we went to another church for a couple of years. And we were in this church service one day. And it was a communion Sunday. Kim's getting ready to laugh. We're in communion, right? Communion time. And they did their communion at the end of service, which is fine. That's the way their pastor wanted to do it this time. And he does what every good pastor does that has a worship team. And he says, I'm just going to have one of our worship people come up and they're going to play something on their instrument, whatever they play kind of thing, while they hand out the elements. So this guy comes up. This older gentleman comes up and he grabs his guitar. Now, this guy's a good guitar player. You know, he puts on his guitar. He gets up there and he plays his little guitar. And he's playing this. I'm not even going to play it. I used to be able to play it. I'm not going to play it. He starts playing this beautiful little guitar. Game. And I'm going, I know this guitar, Judy. I know something about this song that's being played. And I looked over at my dad. And my dad's eyebrows are touching his hairline. And he's got a frown that's touching his clavicle. You know what I mean? And he's as red as a beet. So he's kind of mad, I can tell. And I start listening, and I go, Is that... Is that Stairway to Heaven by Zeppelin that I hear playing? Is that Stairway to Heaven? I'm like, no, it's not Stairway to Heaven, you know, because it's like the... But then he goes into the guitar solo. You guys know, like, if any of these people that listen to Zeppelin, I'm not encouraging you to listen to this music, but we got some old hippies in here. I know we do. And he starts in like... You know, I mean, just playing it like he is, he's good, you know. And yeah, that was a distraction for me to hear that because my dad always warned me. My dad loves that old 70s music. He taught me to play guitar with Gordon Lightfoot and and uh, Simon and Garfunkel and, you know, Janis Joplin. And he told me about that song and how when you turn the, the uh, record in reverse, that it says stuff that is maybe demonic. So, you know, and Zeppelin has, you know, all those rock stars at that time have those kind of stories. So this guy's playing this rock song that supposedly, if you play in reverse, has demonic influence in it. And whether it does or it doesn't, it's probably not the most appropriate song for a communion service, is it? Probably Zeppelin's just not like communion service music, right? Right? We can all agree on that, right? We're unified on that. But he's doing it. So I couldn't even take communion. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Stunned, the spirit... Is not touching me today. I could have given that guy demonized every time I went into church. Like, that's the guy that played the Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Well, he's not a Christian. Instead, instead of making that a hindrance or something destructive, and thinking that maybe there were some other people in the church that were bothered by that, it needed reconciliation, right, Kim? It needed dealt with. So we caught the pastor. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you, man. You know, and I was a little bit like, upset about it, like disappointed about it. And he talked to you. And he's like, sure, let's step into my office. And he says, what's the problem? I said, did you pay attention to the song that was being played during communion? He's like, yeah, I heard it. I was like, do you know the song? And he's like, no. 
You know, I mean, he's looking at me like, what are you, you don't like Phillips, Craig, and Dean? You'd rather listen to Bethel? You know, but I said, well, that was Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. He's like, this is how innocent this pastor was in his 60s. He says, who's Led Zeppelin? First of all, I was like, are you kidding me? No, but but he did it. He was totally unaware of what had taken place. We kind of explained to him like what had taken place, had it dealt with, prayed with the pastor about it. He said he'd go talk to the guy and say, hey, you know, we need to be mindful of what we're playing. I don't even think that guy really understood what he's doing. He was a new believer. So for me to shun him, it could have destroyed his faith. You know, but it was a teaching moment, I'm sure, for the pastor. Say, like, we need to be mindful. We need to make sure we know exactly what we're playing in church service. If you play Led Zeppelin at home, that's your business. But we probably shouldn't be doing it in the sanctuary during service. All right, I'll put my, I'll put my axe away now. All right. I do play guitar for myself, so don't ask me to do it at church. But you guys get what I'm saying? So the following directives, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 18, it states, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good in the first place. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions amongst you. And to some extent, I believe it. That's Paul talking to the church in Corinth. I don't want to do that. I don't want that for a church. You know what I mean? To have divisions. They have to be dealt with. And I hope you guys know, know that I'm not talking about something specific that's happened in our church, but I want it, us to understand it together, that we're a family, and that we belong together, and that we should love each other, and we should reconcile and be in tune with each other so that we can have unity and harmony inside of our church. Sometimes it's good to talk about stuff before we need to talk about stuff. Right? All right. For the health of the body, the local body, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 1 Corinthians 1.10 A healthy congregation is on a journey to maturity. You know what I mean? On a journey of getting closer to God. There's no such thing as this congregation has it 100%. You know what I mean? We're all going to... There's people in the church. The mem the, this church was in good shape until I unlocked the door this morning and walked inside. Then trouble started. You know what I mean? People are people. But we've got to be working on maturity together and walking in perfect unity in mind and thought so we can draw closer to God. Maturity is expressed to another, one another, and I want to reemphasize this in this, through forgiving one another, through dealing with issues properly. That way, when calamity strikes, we can work together. When our community needs us, we can respond. We can carry out the work of a local church because we're in tune with another. We can't be disunified. Do you know that there's been churches that have been split in half because this side wanted blue carpet and this one wanted red? I chose gray. We don't have to have a problem with it, I don't think. Takes care of it, right? <laughs> But really, church carpet color, music choice. You know, I don't like bald pastors. I like pastors that are bald. You know, like stupid stuff. They use a gold offering plate. I like silver. People will cause do anything to cause a division. I got no room for it, and I want us as a church to not have room for that. You know what I mean? If we were to sit down as a church and we had voting members right now. And we were going to vote on communion, buying new communion plates. And he's like, we got 
two choices. We got silver and gold. And you really wanted that gold uh, uh, communion platter. You really, we want the gold looking one. I want the gold looking one. We took a vote and it came in and everybody, or the majority said, we're going to get a silver one. But you really wanted that gold one. You have to be mature enough in your Christian identity to say, that's what the church wants. That's what the church has chosen. And I'm going to go with it. You know, it's been a lesson I've had to learn. That's why I encourage everybody to read John Bevere's Undercover book, because it deals with that. That's my pitch for the library back there. All right? Now, let's go to the, the third point I want to make in divisions. Okay, we have the division that happens in our mind, in our individual. We have the division that happens in the local church, or unity. Now I want to talk about having unity among the church universally. Now when I mean universally, that means our church body, their church body, the Baptist church body. You know what I mean? And a myriad of other denominations and groups. Differences among denominations exist. That's why today we're having church service in here at Summit Church, who is part of the AG world. And down in Piney right now, the Baptists are having church. They have some, they have some different doctrinal ideas than us. I have some different doctrinal ideas than them. You know what I mean? But let's sift through those doctrinal ideas. Because some of them are, are, are you know, just differences. You know what I mean? There's no such thing as a perfect church. We have to look at the meat and potatoes of it. we got to look at the bones of it. You know what I mean? Like our Baptist brothers down the street. You know, you can listen to them. Do they believe that Christ alone can save? Yes, they do. Do they believe that God is a triune God existing as three persons in one? Yes, they do. Do they believe that it takes baptism by immersion? Yes, they do. When you take the meat and potatoes inside, I can consider them brothers and sisters. Pastor Larry down there, he's a brother. You know what I mean? I'm going to reach out. I'm going to help Pastor Larry if something goes wrong in his family. I want to pray for Pastor Larry's church. I know he prays for our church. You know, because we're on the same page. We're unified. You know, together we can do great things. As long as those major bones are the same, that's fine. That's why I can't go and say that the LDS church is part of our family. They're not. But when we do have a good church, a church that lines up biblically, then we should be able to be accepting of them. You know, they may like hymns. We might like more modern, you know. Those things, those are just small little different things. When we have major doctrines in line with each other, we should be able to work together without destroying each other through damaging debate. You know what I mean? And that is something that has gone along and gone, taken place in the church universally for way too long, that we have damaging debate over trivial things. I don't know how else to say it. It's really true, you know church that says you can't have you shouldn't have a piano in your church well do you believe that jesus saves yeah that's fine okay well if you don't want a piano in your church then don't have a piano in your church i don't give a flip you know what i mean we like a piano in our church nobody plays it but it looks pretty right i got a guitar here oh my goodness i got an electric guitar in here that's the devil's act no we we should be able to accept and not accept those little things like that. How often you do communion. It doesn't matter. We're looking to save souls. We're looking to bring people to Christ. 
We're looking to be God's church. And we can do it universally. I think it's great as different church groups and stuff to celebrate what makes us who we are. I like being an AG guy. I do. I love it. I love the way the Presbytery works. I like the, the different doctrines. That's who I am. But that doesn't mean I'm going to discredit Larry. I'm, I'm going to use him specifically. If he listens to my podcast, I don't know if he does. He probably doesn't. But he's not going to be upset. But I'm not going to discredit him because he has some different ideas than I do on that stuff. He's a, he's a Jesus lover, man. He's a Bible reader. He's a prayer. All right. All Christian organizations, all denominations, fall short in some area of God's intention anyway. So we should be able to come together and work together. That's why, like, when I first started, you know, putting together Summit here, some people like, well, I like to go and have women's Bible study over at church number Y on Wednesdays. Is that okay? Yeah. We don't have a church service during that time. We don't have a women's Bible study to work. If you want to go there for a women's Bible study, I think that's splendid. Anything to help your... Don't ask me, you know. Make sure it lines up doctrinally. If you said, I want to take my kids to family home evening or whatever it is down at the LDS church, I'd say that's kind of a concern. Let's talk about it. You know. Sorry. I'm rambling, but I just want to get this stuff across. All right? When we can take and we can settle and just agree to disagree on the smaller things, the Baptists to the Pentecostals, the Pentecostals to the Lutherans, the Lutherans to the Presbyterians, we can do some really awesome, great things. And I think in our little community here, even though it's small, I'm going to be honest and very open right now, that there's just a church division problem. I don't know how else to say it. I can't go there because I'm a Lutheran. I can't go do that because I'm a Baptist. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I could share stories, but I don't want to like point at churches and say we're superior over them by using the fruit. But give me a break, people. We're on the same trip. Let's work together. So I'm not going to play exclusive with the Baptists. We're better than you. I'm not going to play I'm better than you over here. You know? It's not a competition. It's not. We're on a journey together. It's a competition against the enemy, and he's laughing because we're fighting with each other. Can I say that? He thinks it's great. I don't know. You guys make my work easy. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's stupid. It's stupid. We can advance the kingdom collectively instead of individually. When churches unite, we can do great things. There's strength in numbers. You know, we're a little church that on an average Sunday has about 25 people come to it. And that's pretty decent size for this community. But if we take the Baptist group and put us together, and we can do some different things and some great things together. If we're praying for each other, if that's all it is, is that we're praying for each other. We can do some amazing things for our community and for our world. I don't like it when churches feel exclusive. I know I'm beating this one in the ground. I consider many different churches and churchgoers brothers and sisters. And it's time for us, as a little church, as little churches, to quit playing the I'm special card. Because we're all special. We all are. And we love them all. So what I want to do 
Because you guys, most of you guys know the community better than I do. But I want to pray for a few of our different Bible-believing churches in our community. In particular, I challenge you to maybe pray for one of our Bible-believing churches that has hurt you in some way. Or has done a foul against you in some way. You know what I mean? Because that's happened. Those things happen. Can we do that? I want you guys to do that. I guess we won't do it now, but I want you to, to do that this week. Just pray for another church. In our church. I mean, please pray for our church. We need your prayers. But pray for another church. too. You know? All right? So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Can you guys stand and pray with me?